Hey, what's up, How About This listeners? It is another episode of How About This, and we have a great episode ready for you today. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about the original Star Wars trilogy. Everything that happens during that trilogy and between episodes six and seven. So there's a lot to talk about and we have an excellent, excellent guest. So I want you all to give the largest and warmest how about this welcome to the very amazing Mr. Chris DePel as he joins us on today's episode. I've got a bad feeling about this. What's up, how about this, listeners? It's the holiday season, and as you know, Jordan and I are talking about one very, very special and particular topic, and that is the grandeur of Star Wars, because we are fools and have decided to make the entire internet hate us. It's a terrible idea. I, I don't know why we've come back to do this again. Uh, we said it was a terrible idea the first time, and now we're back to do this again. The same, the same terrible idea. Yes, but it's a different trilogy we're talking about. It's a different era of Star Wars. I believe this is the era of rebellion and the fall of the Empire. So we're yes, talking this about is a, this is a better trilogy, but it's yes. still the same bad idea to talk about Star Wars on the Internet. Yes, but bad ideas make for worst outcome. So we're Great. batting a thousand Great. today. I feel yeah. better now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So before we get started into this episode, we start talking about the uh, original trilogy era of Star Wars. We have to introduce our co-host for this day on this episode and we have a very special guest with us today that i'm very very happy to have on so first and foremost our co-host of this show the jedi master from the hills of tatooine he will scream at banta he'll scare away the tuscan raiders mr jordan hugh oh and and i shall introduce my co-host who is the the tiniest jawa with the tiniest hood there it is He's not a scruffy looking nerf herder. He is the Jedi master himself, a friend of ours for a very long time. He officiated my wedding. Mr. Chris DePell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm incredibly excited to be here. This is great. Yeah, it's awesome that you're here. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm like starstruck. This is great. And, and you, you, you picked the right trilogy to bring me on. Cause... I know. <laughs> wow. Okay. We'll bring you back for the the other natural choice, which, of course, is the Fast and the Furious films. Yes. Oh, well, fantastic. That's great. Right. Excellent. Yeah. I, that will I be can... star studded. Yeah. No, we won't use you for Indiana Jones. We'll get someone else. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if we can record long enough for me to do any of those. But we, 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 I got enough tape. We're fine. OK. All right, good. Um, so so for those of you out there who, who don't know, Chris is a, a good friend of ours who is just. A, from what I gather, a very big Star Wars fan. I've had many conversations about Star Wars with Chris over the years. He is an incredibly talented actor, director, professor. Um, we've played many a D&D game with Chris <laughs> and uh, have gone to many different galaxies far, far away. Um, so it's a pleasure to have you here, man. And I guess the first question we always ask to people when they're on the show for the first time is... What is your, well, not exactly this question. We ask it about whatever property we're talking about. Um, so what is your experience with Star Wars? Do you have a favorite movie in the franchise? And where did you kind of get started? Yeah. What, what was your first experience with Star Wars? Okay. All right. Let's see. Um, of course, yeah, I'm a little bit older than you guys. So I go all the way back to the original <laughs> trilogy and Star Wars. But when, before it was called A New Hope, I go right back to the original Star Wars. I remember I, 
I remember a particular night we went to, um, I grew up here on Long Island and, and we went to the Patchogue indoor outdoor drive-in theater at the time. Okay. And I do, I do not remember what movie we saw in the indoor theater, but as we were leaving, we saw something on the outdoor screen that my brother and I just stared at and we couldn't take our eyes off of it. It was the opening scene of Star Wars where Darth Vader is walking through the halls of the Corellian Corvette. Mm -hmm. And we made my dad take us back the very next night to go see it. And it was the most amazing thing <laughs> my my six-year-old or seven-year-old mind uh, could possibly have conjured. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. So I started right at the beginning seeing it. I didn't stand online at the, you know, at the Man's Chinese Theater, but um, but we saw it in, in its original run. Um, and I was hooked immediately. Everything I wanted was Star Wars at that point. I had cassette, I had uh, cassette tapes that uh, of the book of Star Wars, not the not the novel, but that it was I was a kid. So it was just the uh, the kid's story with uh, you felt that you followed along with a storybook. I had every Kenner action figure. I I would not have to work today if I had kept those <laughs> in the original containers. But of course, I was you know seven. I didn't do that. I loved them. They were my best friends. I, I loved every Star Wars toy I had. And for Christmas, it was all I ever wanted. For my birthday, it was all I ever wanted. Um, uh, we, we were incredibly excited when Empire Strikes Back came out. And then, of course, Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. At the end of Empire Strikes Back, we thought, I, I, I can't live for the next few years. I just want to go into <laughs> cryogenic sleep or something because I, I can't possibly not know what's happening to Han Solo. So we went through that whole process of having to wait three years between each film, which you guys had to do, I guess, with the with the prequel trilogy. And, uh, and the sequel trilogy <laughs> not, was like, not, please. That was not the years. same. It was not no, the same. Maybe not the same. <laughs> um but we could uh, have used we could have used more time between the films i think and yeah. uh and i yeah i just love yeah I, I think that's true i think especially with the sequel trilogy can, can we keep that going can we just yeah, keep the yeah. time going just push and it out push happened? it out and so do i have a favorite movie my favorite movie is star wars it's the original one the the original it's as vanilla as it is it is absolutely the best in my opinion Empire Strikes Back is wonderful, but it could not exist without Star Wars. I mean, it, it people will talk about that as being the best film because you can build on Star Wars. But to me, that's part of it is the fact that Star Wars gave us such a strong base and it's so self-contained and so satisfactory as it stands that now we can build on it. And, and I love all the building. Empire Strikes Back, I think, is brilliant and I love watching it. But Star Wars is, to me, yeah. that's like... It's like my mother's, you know, chocolate chip cookies. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's that's exactly what that is. It's just I just love it. I just relish it. Return of the Jedi is a story of two movies to me. One that I love and one that I am not as fond of in hindsight, but I still I still love it. And the original trilogy, I I really I really do still very much enjoy it. Um, so so that's my that's my that's my intro to Star Wars. That's where awesome. that's where I came in, love and that. then. So we'll start. We'll, we'll end there. Yeah. So, so Chris, I want to ask um, now you are part of the generation that, I at least in my mind, as someone who's just a little bit younger than you, uh, you're part of the generation that, to, in my mind, owns Star Wars, right? You, you came out with it. It was part of your childhood. It was legitimately in the theaters at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, and now we have, you know, part of Mike, uh, what Mike and I discussed when we were putting together this miniseries was 
it's amazing that it's still such a hot button topic to talk about the Star Wars movies and their legacy and prequels versus sequels versus the originals. Chris, why do you think people are so protective of this property particularly? It seems to be like the most hostile conversation you can start with any group of nerds seems to be. Uh, do you think the prequels were well handled? Do you think the sequels are well handled? Do you think Star Wars is going in, in the right direction? Why this property? Why are people so quick to defend or so quickly get heated about Star Wars in particular? Why are Mike and I terrified to go to sleep at night, uh, fearful that someone has put out a hit on us from hearing the first <laughs> part of this uh, series? Uh, it, that's, a, that's a really interesting point. That's a really good question. Uh, I I think... I think one of the things about Star Wars is that it 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 is just personal. It was a movie that came out. Now, you know, to put it in the context of when the original trilogy came out, and I think you have to because I think that that our my generation's uh, response to that original trilogy has kind of been the model for how to respond to a Star Wars trilogy, how to respond to Star Wars movies. And I think that may be the case. But but Star Wars came out at a time when everything was incredibly cynical. Every, I mean, yeah. Dirty Harry movies. I mean, every movie was, you know, uh, Death Wish with Charles Bronson. I mean, th- these were the kinds of movies that were, that were coming out at the time. Corrupt Cops. It was all, all that stuff. And Star Wars was a return to the World War II movies of the of the 50s, you know, in the 60s yeah. and and it and it was good versus evil. There was no there was no choosing side. It was just very clear where the delineation was. Good guys were going to win and that was the way it was and they would be put upon at every turn and it was just incredibly satisfying. I think that all of the the fun of the aliens and everything else is great. And that's the thing that keeps us coming back to it is, is discovering these new things and creating new things. I think that at the time, the toys that came out, which named everybody, because who, who knew what the name of the guy was who uh, got his arm cut off by Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and Masai's the Cantina? Yeah. Nobody. We just knew that guy with the you know crazy butt in his face. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's all we knew. And we still didn't know Panda Baba at the time. All we knew was Walrus Man, because that was the name of the Kenner actor. Oh, that's Walrus Man. Walrus Man gets his arm cut off. Um, And and so all of this stuff would be discovering, discovering all of these things. And and we just loved it. We would talk to each other. We didn't have the internet either. So it was always about speculation. My friends and I would sit around forever talking about doing basically what you guys are doing here in terms of you know, except we're doing retrospective, but the idea of, of thinking about what else could come out, what's going to happen, pitching to each other ideas about what the next movie should include and who they cared about the most and why it should do those things. And we owned it so much. And then I think that um, I think that it, it became a new idea, it became this new mythology with the with the prequel trilogy. And then it became a matter of who loves it and who hates it. Yeah. And, and I think that is going to keep that keeps things alive to a great degree. I, people still talk more about the prequels to me than they do about the sequels. As far as I can tell, everybody hates the sequels. And so they're, they're just kind of this thing that we all kind of agree on. So we don't talk about them as much <laughs> as we talk about the prequels. You know, I, I wish that were totally true. There, there are <laughs> sequel defenders somehow. We were just discussing this on the previous episode where. We feel like there's a certain appreciation for the prequels, even though admittedly they aren't that good. Uh, to me, the sequels are unforgivably bad. Like, I think they're they're truly bad films. But there are people that feel like they are somehow, I'm going to use this word, there seems to, be, seems to be people that feel like the sequels are somehow important films, right? That somehow they are checking some boxes of some 
I don't know, pre-planned rearrangement of who Star Wars belongs to or something like that. Those things could be true and good, but also the movies are bad. You know what I mean? And it seems to be like people don't can't handle both ideas. I, I think... I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I, I think actually, you know, with the sequels, I think the characters are actually the strongest part. I think a lot of those characters are, are good characters. I, I think that they're just where they're mishandled. They're mishandled in the writing. I actually think Ray and Finn and Poe are, are great characters. Uh, even, you know, even the droids are fun and stuff like that. I think the problem I can't is even is- tell. I can't even tell if they're good characters. I like Kylo Ren too. I think they're cool characters. I just don't. I think the him we have enough for him. We have enough to say he's a good character. And and I think what ends ultimately ends up happening is that there maybe maybe I'm using the wrong term. Maybe they're more there. There there's potential for greatness there with those characters. I think ultimately what happens is is that you don't have a roadmap. You don't have a plan. And it all falls apart. And you know Marvel has proven to us that hey guys, when you map this out. And you have people that can easily map something out and tie it all together. It works. Now, does every Marvel movie work? No, definitely not. But at least there's some sort of, they're going somewhere. There's some plan here. When you watch some of the, the prequels, uh, the sequels, there is no plan. And it, it's a bit of a mess. So that's what really causes the problem. And unfortunately, that's where all this stuff builds to. So uh, that's why, you know, it sours, you know, it sours a lot of feelings towards the brand. I also think too, I think Star Wars is ultimately something you watch when you're like, like Chris was saying, you know, like seven to 10 to 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And in the, your first experience with Star Wars at that age, it's going to be the best thing you've ever seen. And when you go and watch the prequels, which aren't as good, it's like, oh, this doesn't have the same feeling. Or you go to watch the sequels and it's just like, I ordered a Coke, but you gave me an <laughs> RC Cola. I don't know. Like, it looks like Coke. It even kind of tastes like Coke, but I know. I know there's something wrong. And the the I think what happens with the sequels is it's a bad facsimile of the of the original trilogy. It's like they almost looked at the original trilogy and were like, we're just gonna copy it yeah. and mm-hmm. make some key changes here to make it like ours. But when they should have done is taken those characters and just told something new. And I think that's what happens when you don't have a plan. It's just like, all right, feed them what they want. And that's why there are a lot of people who like hated episode eight but loved episode nine. Because it was like episode nine to them was feeding them with the fan service, which I didn't care for. So ultimately, I think the original movies stand on their own uh, as amazing. I think I agree with you, Chris. I think that Star Wars, A New Hope is a perfect film. I don't think it needs anything. I don't think we need more explanation of Darth Vader. I don't think we need more explanation of, of Han's relationship with Jabba. They don't show Jabba in the original, which is awesome you hear about him right. and it's like yeah whatever he's just a piece of piece of piece of a crime boss i i love empire strikes back i think empire strikes back is very very good um and like you said with with uh, with return of the jedi the first half of that movie that whole like tatooine sequence i really like um it's when you start to get to endor where it's just like it gets kind of lazy uh, but this is also me, you know, picking apart a movie that came out and I'm not a film director or a writer, so I have no idea how any of this stuff works. I just feel like it, if it does fall apart a little bit in, in, with Return of the Jedi, even though I still love that movie. And I think the things that bring us back, and I think that's the thing about the original Star Wars that feels so special. There's a certain mystery to the original Star Wars that we don't get in anything else outside of like the Mandalorian and I think Rogue One has those feelings of strange mystery. Like there's something weird here. I said this on last week's episode. Star Wars is like the ultimate fan film. It's Dune, it's World War II, it's Lord of the Rings, it's a Kurosawa movie, it's Hidden Fortress, Kurosawa movie. 
it's all these things smashed into one. And what's, that's what kind of makes it brilliant. It's like George Lucas just made what he loved. He combined everything he loved into one thing. It was like playing with all your action figures. You know, it was like, okay, cool. I have the Ninja Turtles and the Ghostbusters and the Star Wars guys and the X-Men all in one. It's like that, how we make this work. And he did uh, in the beginning. And I think though, we are starting to see some more of that brilliance and that mystery come back with, I think the Mandalorian is doing a really great job at bringing that back. Um, we obviously love Rogue One. It's one of those things where the original trilogy just has that kind of vibe to it. And I think it's because it's purposely not made to look new and flashy and shiny. Yeah. I think it's because it's dirty. I think mm-hmm. it's because it's old. I think it's because the, the, the spaceships look so industrial. The spaceship design in, in at least the interiors, right? The interiors of the ships and stuff in Star Wars aren't dissimilar to Alien, right? It's kind of got like this grating and all this stuff. It's got this kind of dirty lived in lived in kind of universe uh, yeah. yeah yeah mike you, you've given us a lot a Sorry. lot to respond to uh, let's just take that first chunk uh chris you were right on the tip of saying something where do you think these sequels go wrong in terms of the i don't know the message of star wars how they were plotted basically the first chunk of what mike was saying uh, well i i think mike hit the nail on the head in, a, in yeah. several of those places mm-hmm. one of those things is that and we see it we actually see it in star wars and then we start to see it more in the prequel in the prequels and then we see it in the sequels which is the fact that they're doing too much yeah. just doing way too much star wars works because at the end you have one action you have you have one fight that you're it's one big battle that you're following the battle of yavin right you're following this one big battle and you get invested in it in empire strikes back we're we're split Right, we've got two two different battles going on. So we've got the we've got the the escape from Hoth, and we've got Luke battling Darth Vader. So we've got these two different battles going on. So we're already split a little bit. In Return of the Jedi, we end up with three, uh, and then we get we end up with three. We got the space battle. We've got the Emperor and Luke, and we've got the the Ewoks. Right. So we've got all three of those. And then when we get to the sequels, we start having more and more and more. We've got all of these battles happening at once. And when we get to, by the time we get to the sequels, we end up with. Uh, all of these characters, any one of whom could be great for any of these movies, but instead we don't get to spend any time with any of them. We, we don't get enough time with Ray. We don't get enough time with Finn. And so therefore we stick them together as quick as we can. And now we don't care about either of them in the same way that we could. Um, and then we start getting into Rose, who I think is a really interesting character, the potential for one at any rate, and who gets shafted and then forgotten about, basically. It's just, to me, it's just, they're, they're just a wreck and they, they're trying to do way too much. The other thing, too, that I'll, that I'll and the other second point, then I'll, then I'll you know, I want to hear from you guys, too. I, want, I, I don't want monopolized here, but as you talked about, Mike, the idea of, you know, directors and what they're doing here and vision for what this is. As a director myself, I have learned that I need to direct for what I like. I don't, I don't direct for other people. I direct for me. And if I like it, then other people are going to like it too. Somebody is me. I'm not going to direct for everybody. When I try to appease everybody, it's going to become a big giant mess. So I have to direct the thing that I want to see. And I think George Lucas does that in the original trilogy to a much larger degree than he does in, uh, I think an argument can be made about the sequel trilogy about him doing, doing that maybe to too great a degree in there, but we could talk about that too. But in the sequel trilogy, of course, he's got no hand in it at all. And it's three different, people that's i mean it's two two different directors but it was supposed to be three different directors and it ends up being somebody trying to grab the reins back it's just this big fight over what this story is about even and it ends up being about therefore in my opinion nothing yeah yeah there seems to have been a disconnect even with george lucas himself from the original films to the prequel films mm-hmm. uh where and i i put this out there in the last episode i had said 
I don't know anything else that is like Star Wars in this respect. And it goes back to the first question I asked you, Chris, which was, what you know, why do you think people so ardently defend this franchise in particular and why people get so hostile? Uh, is I, I don't know anything else that's like this where it feels like to me that Star Wars seems like it belongs to the fans. Like it feels to me like it, it doesn't actually belong to the creator, which I don't know another thing that I can really say that about. You know, like when I think of Star Wars, of course, you, you cannot divorce it from George Lucas originally, but now it feels like very much since the prequels, since the sequels, Mandalorian, the whole expanded universe, the video games, the, we could go on and on. I feel like it, in a weird way, for good and for bad, kind of belongs to the people now. I don't know, I don't know another creative property like that, and I, I think that is part of what spurs such, uh, the word I'm hesitating to use is kind of animosity but it's like people have very strong ideas about what star wars should and should not be and somehow what george lucas thinks it should be doesn't matter which is wild to me it's wild to me well keep in mind too that it's the first movie uh, first movie and then franchise that is truly commercialized in terms yeah. of action figures and play sets and everything that came out in order to make money that way. And, and, if, you know, of course that's smart marketing and it's all those great things, but what it does is it gives tremendous control. I spent hours and hours and hours on a daily basis, creating my own stories about star Wars, using these figures, creating what happens after star Wars can create, creating what happens after empire strikes back, building all of these things. And I did it with all of my friends and we all worked on those things. We all thought about those things and not just intellectually, but like acting them out with these figures on shell my mom's bookshelves, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and creating these things and building Sarlacc pits and things like that about how this goes and lowering people down with strings as they fall down places and swinging places. So we created this world. We took the world that George Lucas created and we had three years in between to build our own world with all of the tools that he gave us. And then we had another movie and now we built for three more years building. So we own this as much as George Lucas did. And I think that's different than other, than other properties. I think it's, yeah. it's one of those things and Jordan and I talk about this a lot in our personal lives when we talk about films and stuff being made of, of different properties. So, for example, like we're Jordan and I are giant comic book fans. Comic book movies didn't get good until fans started making them. Right. So Star Wars, the Star Wars fans really couldn't get involved for a long time. They didn't have 60 years of Star Wars before they started making the Star Wars movies. So, you know, now I think and I said this in the last episode, I guess I'm a Star Wars optimist. Um I think that and, and Disney is starting to cancel projects and push stuff because I think they know that they need to clean this up somehow. And that's also obviously conjecture, but whatever. Um, the folks they have making Star Wars now are legitimate Star Wars fans, you know, whether they worked alongside George Lucas or whether they have proven themselves to really care. I love, you know, we all love fan service to a degree and but they're comes a point where there's too much fan service, right? And, and it gets weird and it's like, I don't really like that. And that's why stuff like The Mandalorian to me is so special because it's like, it gives you what you want. First of all, The Mandalorian is a video game. It's just 100% an open world video game, but it gives you enough of what you want to see while giving you something new. So it still feels like it, it sit, sits nicely into that whole that whole world. That's why Rogue One was so special for me because it felt like Star Wars and it, was, it wasn't it was toothless. Like it was not right. afraid to murder everyone in that film, which is actually a great thing. And 
I think I totally fans, agree. Yeah, exactly. And I think the fans are starting to, we're starting to get more fans who are own, owning up, owning, owning Star Wars. You can't tell me Dave Filoni is not a giant super fan. Right. That, that the way that guy writes, even when you go and read John the comic books, John Favreau, super fan guys like Charles Soule who are writing these magnificent comic books, big sure. fans of star Wars. Mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. And I it, like, I think you guys are 100% right that it does belong to the fans and these kids or these people who are working on it now were the kids in the, in the early 1980s playing on the Ewok tree fort or whatever they called yep. it, throwing rocks at stormtroopers and making their own little star Wars stories <sighs> And Star Wars has lived beyond its films now. Sure. And Though, and, it, and yet, it, it, the other side of the coin is that Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams are also Gen Xers and yeah. couldn't do it. They, they couldn't recapture that. They couldn't find that somehow. I, or maybe I, they I, tried too hard to recapture. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think J.J. Abrams, you know, I don't want to bash the guy too much. I do like some of the stuff he that he's made. I think that J.J. Abrams is is a at least with the big franchises he's worked with, he gives you exactly what it was previously with us, the slightest of new spin. We saw that with Star Trek for sure. Star Trek for sure. And, and Ryan Johnson is a disruptor. That's how he operates. Like knives out is a great movie because he takes the murder mystery and completely gets rid of every, and completely subverts every expectation you'd ever have about the murder mystery. That doesn't work for star Wars all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, yep. I, I think part of it is that, um, uh, I'm actually not complaining about Ryan Johnson. I think he did a good job. Uh, I think Ryan Johnson yeah. is a... You would never put those two together. You would never say, I'm going to make two films and JJ's going to do one and three and Ryan Johnson's going to do the middle movie with minimal communication. I think that's just, what are you doing? What are you doing at that point? Chris, go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I just want to say that yeah, Jay, I am not a not a tremendous J.J. Abrams fan. Mm-hmm. I... I Liked Lost. I did like Lost, but that was hit or miss. When it hit, it hit the bullseye. And when it missed, it didn't even know where the target was. <laughs> Super 8, I, I think, had no idea what it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that wanted to be Alien, but it also wanted to be Pete's Dragon. But it, it, had, it had no idea what it wanted to be. It was trying to be terrifying, and we're supposed to feel bad for this alien at the same time. And, and it, it didn't work. It was Goonies meets Alien, and it was just a mess. Star Trek, I think, worked brilliantly. I think that's that's the one that's the one project that I think was excellent. I thought it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it, so I had great hope. But what I see in Force Awakens is exactly the same thing. Is it's it's all it's kind of all over the place. Um, the parts that make it palatable or gave some hope when they came out were the, were the way it connected just directly with a new hope. Yeah. Yeah. How much did he write? How much? How much of the writing for for uh, in terms of the story of Force Awakens was his? We will never know that. Okay. These these sequel films are very much movies by committee. Committee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's even the case for the Ryan Johnson film, which is deconstructionist and subversive. What what, what I will always think about the sequels, and I know we'll we'll get much more into these next week when we do the sequel uh, movies. Um, but it's so hard to not talk about them. Is that I think. Ryan Johnson was sold the original deal, which was, listen, JJ is hands off after this. You do what you want and we'll pick it up from there. And Ryan Johnson said, "Okay, listen, this this first outing, you gave them nothing new. You gave them basically a reheated version of A New Hope, but it's a worse version of that. Let me try to do something interesting and a little bit different. And a lot of it works and a lot of it doesn't. And a lot of it, I think, would have really paid off beautifully had they had a third film that honored the strange 
choices and turns that were made in that second film rather than trying to so violently and vehemently course correct to something that was more palatable to the no offense chris the the traditionalists of star wars that uh just want everything pruned and kept a, a certain way and uh, i jordan i am a i am a skywalker saga guy i really feel like these nine films are about that family and i was i was all about that and i was i was cool with that but i was not cool with them basically saying oh the last jedi that was really cute just kidding here's here's basically a sequel to the force awakens and we'll try to ignore as much of what was in The Last Jedi as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a crazy choice. It's really a problem when in your third movie, you spend the first half of it erasing what happened in the last one. Uh, yeah. It's a hard I, time. Yeah, it's, totally and it's so poorly written. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was a rush job. It maybe I don't know. I don't know. It's just, you know, it is it is what it is at this point. And I- The dead think, speak, Mike. I, the I dead did, speak. The, the dead speak. The dead speak. I, forget it. The Palpatine thing just makes me nauseous. Um, they and they triple down on it. Yeah, like, oh, I know. Like, they you don't know. even give it a shot. I don't believe that the only good Star Wars content is the original trilogy. I really don't. There are things within the sequels and things within the prequels that I that I think are pretty cool. I, this the salt and the the red earth that comes up and some of the visuals in. Uh, whichever that's uh, whatever the second one was. Uh, oh, last Jedi, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Uh, there's some visuals in that that are really nice. And I love the expanded universe stuff. I was a huge fan of the Timothy Zahn trilogy. I thought that expanded things in new ways and was a wonderful continuation of, of the story. I understand why they didn't why they didn't pick it up. But to me, that's the way I think of it, is that the, the sequel trilogy as films, that's the expanded universe to me. And the Thrawn trilogy is the one that is the that's the the story that I'm interested in, but they're bringing um, Thrawn back. They're bringing him in. I know. And they're changing a lot of things and that's fine. You'll, you'll, you'll see when we get to pitches that I've got some Thrawn content as well, but <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll see, but um, I, I, I'm glad they're bringing him back, but, but I think that the pull of some of those things were, were really good and really strong and kept the, the feeling of it without, while adding new things, the idea that you had a villain who Thrawn in the books is, of, he's a villain, but he is really intelligent and not rash in the way that Darth Vader is. And, and, and that was completely unique at the time. That was a wonderful thing to discover in reading those books. There's a whole scene in the first book where, you know, some, some underling makes some, makes a mistake and, uh, and he's brought before Thrawn and he thinks he's a dead man. There's no question about it. And, and the captain, Captain Pelion watches this interaction and thinks this guy's dead. There's no, there's no question about it. And Thrawn says, did you learn what happened? I mean, cause it was a major blunder, like a tremendous blunder. And, uh, and he says, did you learn what happened? Will it ever happen again? Okay, great. Thanks very much. Go back to your place. And it was, that yeah. was a shock. That was a yeah. true shock in star Wars content to have that moment happen. And, and suddenly you care deeply about this guy and you want to know more about him and who is he? Because he's got all these, you know, these um, machinations going on in terms of setting things up and he's basically mustache twirling, but he's not tying anybody to the railroad track. You know, and <laughs> it's amazing. And so I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of those books. I really love them. So, I mean, I, I, I'm very excited that people are bringing, that we're bringing some of that content back in. Yeah, I feel like the cherry picking the content for what really works. I think when you're taking 40 years or 30 some odd years of books, comic books, video games, uh, you know, everything, it's hard to make it all work in the same continuity, but you could take the stuff that that works really well, like Thrawn or, mm-hmm. you know, or I mean, I guess she does definitely doesn't 
doesn't count, but Ahsoka, right? What a great character that is newer. Great character. Great character. And she's newer. And man, they nailed that casting um, with Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. And you're taking stuff like the, the Mandalorian stuff, which really isn't talked about in the Star Wars movies. I know it from Knights of the Old Republic. I know the Mandalorian stuff from that. Uh, and, you know, and expanding that or who knows? Who knows what else? Even stuff like Star Wars Visions, I thought was really cool because it shows that like this there's there's more stuff out there and i think it the it's 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 endless and limitless and i think we're going to take a break from what the core is for a while and i think we're going to explore more around everything else over the next handful of years before we really get too close to the center uh to this the skywalker stuff again even though i know that i i, I know that luke is is back i guess you know uh sure. see, I think they, yeah, they don't seem to know where they want to go with the films from here, right? And and the Mandalorian is great. That's that's amazing content, but they don't know. Mike, Mike is right. You're right, Mike. It's it's uh, they're kind of just going to stick with the TV thing for a long while. I I had just uh spent most of last episode espousing the virtues of Solo, a Star Wars story, which I liked. (laughs) I want I wanted more films like that. I at least wanted them to finish that story. Um. And I felt badly that um, or I felt bad that that um, it didn't perform monetarily in the way they had hoped. And and for them, unfortunately, because, of course, this is the case to them, the money is the success. Right. right. They, they can never look at something and say, well, this was good. It just didn't make enough money. They will always say it didn't hit the money. It's bad. <laughs> it's a bad thing. And we must now now forget about it. I don't know. And I guess we'll see this maybe in our pitches. I don't know where they go from here for films. TV, endless landscape. We could do Obi-Wan. We could do Mandalorian. We could do uh, umpteen different animated versions of things that fit in and out of the whole universe of things. I don't know where they go for the next big film. I don't know that they have that. I don't know that that is even there yet. Yeah, I mean, I feel like your next big Star Wars film is is some is at another point in, in the Star Wars timeline history. Like you either got to go way back or you got to go way forward. I don't know. They may not be able to do that. I, th- I think what uh, I- I'm calling this now, and I listened, we can have a good laugh at me in about two years. I think uh, what HBO is now trying to do with Game of Thrones uh, to do House of the Dragon, uh, which is a show I think a lot of people are are really anticipating, which takes place long before the events of Game of Thrones. Uh, I think they're going to find out that's a huge dud. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually going to ripple. And I think it, it'll affect Star Wars and other properties as well, where they're like, oh, people don't really like this early history of some of these realms things. I, I'm predicting the same kind of thing for the Amazon Lord of the Rings series. I think they're spending too much money. I think they're expecting too much of a return. And I think it's going to be a limited thing that exists and then is gone. I, I don't think we're looking at long form for any of these projects. Mm-hmm. Chris, you were, you were about to chime in. Well, uh, uh, let me let me say this here, yeah, because I, I don't remember what I was going to say there, but what, but because this got me, this got me going. I, I think that there are too many people who think that what people love is the lore of something, and that's mm-hmm. not what they love. They love characters. Now, if the yeah. the characters in the lore are strong and wonderful and interesting and doing cool things well then we care about the lore or if they are just mysterious enough we care about the lore but we don't really need to see what happened before something happened i i I don't um and and so they miss the mark they 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 don't understand what people love one of the things that i loved about lord of the rings if we'll talk about that for just one second 
Sure, please. Because uh, I, I have watched all the, I have the extended editions. I've watched them many, many times. <laughs> I have watched all of the content in uh, Peter Jackson's uh, release. So all of the extra DVDs, all of the making of everything that, that's come out. It's hours and hours of my life invested in well <laughs> worth the time. But in that, he talked about the idea that these, he, he said to the, to the production company, these things existed and we get to make the documentary about them. We get to make the movie depicting the events and so it became the history of it but it became the history of people and i think that that's the important thing it's one of the things that makes makes that trilogy work so well sure so the idea of going back and doing things before that doing characters that 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 are unless they really humanize these characters if they do that there's potential for these these other properties but but if they if they are about how old it is i think the sequel trilogy fails in that i think that's i think that we looked at Han and Leia, these are scrappy people who say things like, well, more wealth than you can imagine. I mean, they're, they're goofy. They're, they're human beings in a situation talking. And we sure. jump from that to the beginning of the, of, the, of the prequels where now everybody speaks very in hushed tones and we are all incredibly serious. Oh, it's we so take, serious. It's so weighted down with importance and power. And nobody thinks in the moment that they are weighted down with importance and power. No, yeah. and I, that's what gets missed. It's yeah. it is the goofiness. It is the by the seat of your pants. It's one of the reasons that we can talk about Indiana Jones. And I hope you bring me back when we do. Absolutely. Um, but uh, uh, is that he is a guy who's like you know he's like, he sits down at the controls of the plane. He sits down at the controls of the plane, and she says, "You know how to fly?" And he goes, "No, do you?" And I, that, <laughs> that's. That is amazing. That is character. That's perfect in terms of why we care and what we're interested in. And, uh, and we start to lose that when we start getting into the, into the, the world of it having importance. The world needs to be there to support the characters, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Chris. Yep. That's so well said. Really and well uh, said. I think it's something that we're going to see with a lot of properties coming up because that is the route everyone took. Everyone said, what's our most valuable property? And let's do the history of that. Right. And I think they're all going to be really pretentious and up their own butt and self-important and everyone is going to talk exactly in the manner you described which is everyone doing a hayden christensen everyone doing a everything i say has historical importance you know and and it's very very boring and most of the reason i watch star wars is for the yeah like you said it's for the characters i love but it's also for like goofy space hijinks i want to see the adventure of it all nothing nothing to me is more star wars than the moss eisley cantina that's everything I want Star Wars to be. And that's probably sure. why I like Guardians of the Galaxy as much as I do. Yep. Oh, my God. Because yep. Guardians same of the idea. Galaxy is the same idea. This is a yep. Saturday morning cartoon, but in a film form. And let's have some fun with it. And you know what? You can have gravitas. You can have some great character moments. Like in Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the silliest movies I've ever seen. But there's so much detail yeah. paid into the characters. Like one thing I'll mention from Guardians, because I do think it's tied to Star Wars a little bit. Sure. I, I think sure. in a little bit. There's a, there's a part at the end where Groot's dead and uh, Drax pets Rocket. And Drax <laughs> pets Rocket and Rocket like freaks out for a second because that's never happened. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of like subsides for a second. You wouldn't have picked that up because they don't say, you know, it's not like, oh, the Guardians are the protectors of Earth and we're going to destroy everything and we're going to make sure evil loses. No, they're a bunch of jerks who just happened to be like at the right place at the right time to stop, stop this psychopath from destroying the galaxy. Sure. And they don't tell you that rockets never been pet. That scene shows it, you know, so that's kind of what it is. 
what you just described is a very human moment. Yes. It's a very real moment. Again, between, you know, not human characters, but you know what I mean? <laughs> more, more than anything else, that's what's missing from the sequel movies was that none of those characters are even allowed to inhabit the same space long enough with each other to have human moments, right. you know? They are human and don't act like humans. That's right. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. it's so bizarre. But hey, enough about the sequels. Mike, what do you think? Are we in the third act of the show? I think it's pitch time. The Mets just okay. signed two of the best pitchers in baseball. So uh, oh my God. I'm very excited. Sorry to bring this to sports. I Ooh, apologize. No sports in our nerd podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Unless we're talking about the movie Moneyball. Well, the nerdiest sport of them all, baseball. So baseball, the very, one that's very nerdy. It's, it's essentially, de- there's there's a series of baseball games that are RPGs at this point. Mm-hmm. So MLB The Show is essentially an RPG. Very nerdy. <laughs> all right. So Chris, uh, being you are the special guest today. Yes. Uh, we're going to let you pitch first. Mike and I might have some smaller pitch ideas. Or we might be able to tack on to yours. Why don't you give us what you got? But you have to say the magic words. Oh, I, oh, I, I will. I will. I'm going to do a little a little preamble here, though. We love and, a preamble. Okay. And say that, you know, if we had done this, if we had recorded this back in 83, I would have had more pitches. And my, <laughs> my, my, pit, my pitch pocket has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller as time has gone on. And because my... Because sadly, my hope has started to dwindle about some oh. of these things. Because oh, no. some of the pitches that I would have given have happened and have not quite panned out, like a massively multiplayer online role-playing game of Star yeah. Wars, which was atrocious and missed yeah. the mark in all the ways we're talking about in some of these other things. Um, a Star Wars theme park, which unfortunately is based on the sequel trilogy yep. instead yep. of the original trilogy. So, I mean, these are these are things that that all would have been there. Uh, even the RPG, the West End was my favorite. And that one is, you know, gone, gone the way of all role-playing games. And even though it still exists and I still have all the books, it's hard to get people to play with that system. Yeah. But how about this? Ooh. A TV series. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get into my, my love of Timothy's on a little bit. And if we're talking about this period, I have to include the, I have to include these books and these characters that are there, but it's a character that as far as I know, has not been touched yet and gives us so much potential. I'm also a huge serenity fan. I'm a huge fan of star Trek. So I'm a, I'm totally. a fan of all yeah. of these kinds of things. So you mm. can probably see where I'm going to go with this, but I, I want to pitch a TV series about Talon card. Do you know Talon Card? Do I know? Give it, give ah, it see, to Okay, us. so this this is an, a is perfect Talon indicator Card? that, okay, Talon Card was a smuggler. Talon Card is basically who Han Solo could have become had he been a successful smuggler. That's the idea. So he, because Han Solo, Mike, you talked about this last week when, when uh, on the on the first episode of the series about how Han Solo is the character. He's, he's the one that we all loved the most. He's the one that I loved the most. It's the one that, that, that really spoke to me. And Talon Card is a smuggler. He comes into the Thrawn, Thrawn trilogy uh, at a moment where Luke Skywalker is stranded in space. And he has an opportunity. He can pick this guy up and then sell him to, he can either give him back to the Rebellion to be able to make some you know, get, get some uh, uh, prestige <laughs> that way and be able to get some favors owed My to him. My kind of guy. Or he could turn him over to Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is mm-hmm. looking for him and has put out an all-points bulletin for this guy. And he's trying to debate one way or the other, and things go. But that's later. I want to take this back 
and begin a TV series about Talon Card, about this smuggler. So this would be, in effect, a TV series that the arc would be Han Solo's arc through the course of the first Star Wars film. So this is going to be an arc of this character who is this smuggler, this rogue, this you know, uh, this um, the member of the scum and villainy, right? So all of these guys, and he is going to uh, have this whole episode, episodic series that is like Mission Impossible or Star Trek or Serenity, that kind of thing, where he and his crew are going to do all kinds of missions. He was known for trading in information primarily, but it gives lots of opportunity for different kinds of missions and for us to care about this crew, the small crew that he's got on his ship called the wild card and he can gain power and prestige and gain favors from people it gives us an opportunity to meet lots of really great characters on both sides of of the rebel uh fight from the galactic empire and from the rebel alliance um and from other factions as well could even come up against crimson dawn because he is starting his yeah yeah starting his own kind of smuggler ring to some degree. And in the Thrawn trilogy, he ends up creating the Smugglers Alliance. He brings all of these smugglers together in order to be able to to fight against Thrawn in the end. But um, but so that, that would be the that would be the idea is that with each of these. Now the first episode would end basically with the um the news coming on that the Battle of Yavin has been fought and the Death Star has been destroyed. That would be the big, that would be the end of the first episode. So we would begin and we would know exactly where we are. This would be a series that would have basically none of the characters from Star Wars, except it would give us an opportunity to meet some of those people from Mos Eisley Spaceport. You were just talking about, Mike. You know, so you can go and we can meet, you know, the um, the sisters, the, those two sisters who are off the side with the, the black, the jet black hair or, uh, you know, the, the people who are smoking the hookah and the, all, certain of these characters that can be part of the world of what's going on. We can find new worlds. We can find new people in those places, find about the humanity about those people. And I, I, and I think that would be a, a really fun idea, but we would connect occasionally with the timeline of Star Wars. We would have these little moments where things are going to connect. Like one of the missions that card could be on is the the procurement of the uh, the shuttle Titerium, Titer- you know, which is the shuttle that that um, uh, they pilot to get to Endor. They get past the second Death Star, but but just have that come up, or we just walk past it and it just says Titerium on the side of the ship, or something <laughs> along those lines. So little Easter eggs, little tiny things like that, that will help us put things in order, and it would it would coincide over the course of the original trilogy. It also gives us the opportunity to bring in a, a, another character, Mara Jade. Do you guys know yep. Mara Jade? Yep. Oh yes, that one we okay. know. Mara Jade, who I think is phenomenal, and and I think I think that that she could come in. We can could, because all, because a lot of these characters get retconned. You know, like Thrawn has been retconned as to where he's located and the things he's involved with from from this original from the Thrawn trilogy. Mara Jade could be retconned and come in sooner into the story and be a really great you know season finale somewhere along the line but ultimately i think that the arc of the whole series is talon card discovering how evil the empire is and coming to a place where he is not ready to join the rebel alliance he's starting to wrestle with his determination not to join the rebellion to to to, to not do those things in the same way that han solo ends up leaving before he comes flying back we would not pick it up with him flying back but in the final moments of the series we would know that he would someday. Yeah. That would be, so that that's, that's my, that's my, that's my first, that's my first pitch. I love it. I, I love think it. That's great. So uh, much fun. And it just goes to show you just how much material is out there that they 
sort of discarded or uh, decided didn't matter and was better than stuff that they came up with. Exactly. Oh, and Chris Pine, I think I would like as uh, as talent card. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I love, yeah. We, love, we love Chris Pine. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So is that's one of multiple pitches you have? You're more than one pitch. I, I have another one, but the other one is for me. I don't know that anybody else is going to like this oh, thing, but I have, the, I have another that's, pitch. That's the one we want then. Okay. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. We want the fast you gotta, and furious. You got to do it for back. you. You yeah. got to do it for you. All right. This one's for me and for maybe David Henderson. Okay. Okay. This All right. Goes how out about to friend this? Of the show, David. Okay. So how about this? A large scale strategic video game like okay. Crusader Kings or Hearts <laughs> of Iron. Okay. Set in the post galactic empire era. Awesome. So, so yeah. So, uh, at, at the end of Return of the Jedi, it seems like everything has gone completely well. In, in the special editions, we get the statue of the Emperor is pulled down, and we get all the Ewoks singing, and it seems like oh, with one <laughs> battle, all is well. But we know that that's not how things go. Following World War II, we had a Cold War, and so this would be a Cold War video game, basically from the post galactic empire. I, I would, I would, I would never leave my house but, if I but, had this. And, and I, I like Crusader Kings, yeah. but if it was Star Wars, oh I would God. stop eating. I think is the problem. So, yeah. so the game would pit the New Republic, led by Mon Mothma, against the remnants of the Galactic Empire, led by Grand Admiral Thrawn. And there would be different factions. I mean, different things that would be involved. You could have, you could work uh, political realms. You could work a military. You can have battles, espionage, the financial aspects of it, all of these things. And you could play at any scale of leadership. So you could play Grand Admiral Thrawn and take over the whole thing. Or you could just be the head of state of some planet and you are just working to get the stuff that you need, whether you take it from the Galactic Empire, you take it from the from the uh, the New Republic, whatever it's going to be. So you can just be an administrator. So basically this could be Lando Calrissian, the video game. You are hey. Lando Calrissian and you're deciding what's the best thing for what you're trying to accomplish. You can kind of set your own goals that way. Now, that's why I say this is not a property that I think would be for most people. I don't think a lot of people are going to you know, uh, dig, dig this, but I just would love to get in there because then I'm one of the characters that's yeah. the fun thing to well, me that's so. that's the the heart of yeah. role play yeah right that's uh that that would that Chris, would that's that, perfect there's a niche of people that like would be all about that so like that's one of those things where like they can do so much with video games like why there there isn't something like this already is kind of weird like a civilization or a right or a crusader kings or something like that or hearts of iron like you said um in this type of in star wars like it makes it seems like it makes too much sense yeah because I've played, I've played all the Star Wars video games, but this is the one that I would, I would really love. I love, I love it. I think that's great. It's great. I, I too have played far too many Star Wars video games, <laughs> so I get it. So, wh so what have you guys got, Jordan? You want to go? You want me to go? Uh, I can go. Um, so my my pitches are not as well thought out as Chris's are, and mine. Uh, I kind of did like a little rapid fire version of of my uh, pitch formula this time which is just uh i have like several ideas none of which are particularly flushed fleshed out it's more just like a series of like hey wouldn't this be cool if... <laughs> how about this mcclunky mcclunky <laughs> something that piqued my interest from the sequels that would have taken place during this time period we're talking about now which is the originals up until the beginning of tfa uh is the knights of ren 
Mm-hmm. The Knights of Ren is this organization basically shrouded in mystery and because of how they're handled in the sequels completely come to naught. But it's a really cool idea that I think someone could have done more with. And I, I suspect through a little bit of light research, someone may have already done a little bit more with them in comic book form. But uh, hey, this is my pitch, so I get to say what I want. Uh, so the Knights of Ren seem to be uh, basically the knight inheritors of the Sith beliefs that were held formerly by the Emperor slash Vader before they're gone. They exist in this period between the proper fall of the Empire and the rise of the First Order. And of course, Ben Solo, aka Kylo Ren, eventually joins their ranks. And once he becomes the, uh, you know, in service to Supreme Leader Snoke, he has kind of gifted the Knights of Ren as his personal bodyguards to do with what he will, though they barely appear uh, in, in the sequel films. They're, they're hardly there at all. Mm-hmm. And they're dispatched uh, without any uh, ceremony on Exegol once they the plot decides it truly doesn't need them. And I was like, this is a really cool opportunity to get like a variety of like kind of badass pseudo Sith doing like their own kind of cool thing. So what I was hoping to do was to, and this is where my pitch is not specific, because I would be fine if this were a comic book. I would also be fine with a series of like really stylized um, animated shorts. Uh, I was almost looking for like a, almost like a pulpy, almost like a Western feel is you can kind of go into like the horrible things that the Knights of Ren went out and did during that time period. But rather than necessarily focusing on them as the entity that is the protagonist, it could be the places they've attacked and people trying to defend against them, right? So in other words, this is a a weird idea for a pitch, but um, this series would be always defending against these particular bad guys, though you're not on their side. It's just developing them as more of a property. So when they finally show up, there is more uh, pomp uh, and circumstance. Not really. There's There's more importance to them when they finally show up. You say, oh my God, the Knights of Ren. And it seemed like they were going in this direction for design where they each had kind of their own unique weapon, and you would give them their kind of unique story. And I, I just thought that would have been a cooler idea to flesh them out. Also, of course, and this ties back to my thing from last week, they are in service to the Crimson Dawn. They they come right up under Lady Kira. So that seemed like a natural yeah. tie-in if you were actually going to naturally let the story of Kira from Solo, a Star Wars series, uh, you know, conclude into something else. Uh, Chris, did you have something to contribute? It looked like you were going to say something. Uh, no, no, I think I think that's really cool. I, I I think that what you've what you've latched onto here, Jordan, is exactly the thing from the sequel trilogy that is the thing that is from the lore that sounds so cool that we want to know <laughs> yeah. more about the the one the one thing really I think and, and that's I think that's a terrific idea. Yeah, I love sure. that. And it's like, what really lures Ben? Does he think these guys are really cool? You know, and you would have to include that part of the story as well. And maybe in so doing, just give Luke a little bit more reason to do what he does. Maybe it's not that he just sees <laughs> Ben having a bad dream. Maybe he has actual visions of like they've contacted him. He's thinking about joining this horrible terrorist organization. You know, you're seeing them touch down on these uh, defenseless homeworlds and do these horrible things. And you're learning more about Snoke and Kira and the Crimson Dawn and the rise of the First Order through them. So that ultimately would be why you're telling the story, like not just because the Knights of Ren are cool, but they are, but rather that it seeks to kind of tell part of the story that got left untold. Like, who is Snoke really? That's fine if he's just a clone created in a lab by Palpatine, but he he did exist at least long enough to have a presence. So I, I just want to hear more about that. You talk about the Knights of Ren and then Kylo becomes their leader, but 
this this is just like the Clone Wars in Star Wars when it first gets mentioned. You know, I knew your father in the Clone Wars, and then that's it. There's no no reference to Clone oh, right, Wars. Yeah. What on earth are cl- cl- are the clones fighting each other? Are right. we fighting against the clones? What, what's ha- we had no idea. And with this, because in my mind, I've always imagined that the Knights of Ren took their name from Kylo Ren, from what Ben Solo has chosen. Right. Which isn't true. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is really interesting. So, okay. Cool. Yeah, and, the, and the movies don't make that clear, even. You would yeah, assume, no. oh, they're his knights. They're not. Is that made clear He's... elsewhere? No. Okay. You know where it's made clear on Wikipedia. That's the best Got Pedia. It. Made I, it's a good Pedia. He's Kylo Ren because they're the Knights of Ren, not the other way around, which is Got so it. wild. Kylo yeah, Ben. So wild to me. And I know I, just, I know Wikipedia well. I just have never looked up any of the sequels. Yeah, I, I just okay. I want to hear that story. How do they recruit him? How does he become their leader? All of that, you know. And I like the idea of a stylized animated series too, because if you look at if you look at Visions, which is you know I think it's it's a handful of different anime producers producing you know fifteen minute vignettes in completely different styles. It's stylized animated Star Wars is really cool, and if you have yeah. like kind of that gritty Western vibe to it, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, actually, I think anime would specifically would be a great style for that. I have like a uh, a trigun kind of thing in my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, beautiful. My next quick idea that is literally like two sentences long <laughs> is this: in the three ten to Yuma remake starring Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. I promise, I'm I'm going somewhere with this, which I quite like. Ben so Foster. I, yeah, Ben Foster rules in that movie as the movie's mm-hmm. most interesting unsung character. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Prince, I believe, is his name. Yeah, that's um, right. It's a great, great movie. There is a C or D plot in that movie, really a featurette that is not at all important, which is that Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe's gun, which is uh, lost by him in the first or second scene of the movie, kills its way back to his hand by the end of the film. And for me, it is the most incredibly satisfying thing to watch this happen where, uh, sorry for spoiling 310 to Yuma remake, but this gun like misfires or it, the guy holding it is just killed and then someone picks up the gun and it travels its way across the West until it is back in Russell Crowe's hand. And it's just, it's awesome. And I've, I've had that in my mind to use forever. And I thought this would be a really fun device for either a, a novella or for a, a TV miniseries where it's a lightsaber and you get to follow the lightsaber from the moment it's crafted to just everyone that gets to hold it. And sometimes that could be hundreds or thousands of years apart, right? And it's just the next person that unearths it and takes that kyber crystal and does something else. There is no story attached to this. I just thought it was a cool device to say, what if you wanted to look at uh, a slice of Star Wars history, but you're looking at it through a kyber crystal, if you're looking at it through just the way of the blade, which I thought would be something neat, as if to say, you, know, you could do some metaphorical commentary, something about the force, something about how these implements are used, how the struggle goes on, because ultimately that is the story of this world is that it's always in turmoil. It's always good versus evil. And that's never not going to be the case. It's always this fight for balance. Yeah. And I just thought that 310 to Yuma featurette was a neat way to do it, where you could have the lightsaber temporarily held by a Jedi, or maybe it comes into prominence throughout a group of friends, or it'd just be interesting to do. I think it's I think it's neat. I think it's neat when you can take one of these established properties and you can tell them from a perspective that is really unusual. I always think back to the Batman, the animated series episode where the three children, I believe the episode is called I've Got Batman in My Basement, where the three children are telling stories about Batman that they, they they believe are true. And it was just really cool to see it from their perspective. But same idea. Oh, Chris, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I love that idea, Jordan. I really do. I think that that, that would be 
that's the comic that I would get heavily invested in. Fun, right? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. you could do something with that. Yeah. Telling these stories. I love it. Yeah. And then my, my third idea, which is uh, the shortest idea of all is this. I know that they have done the Shakespearean version of the original Star Wars trilogy, which uh, is fun. I would actually like someone to go ahead and finish writing just the the opera, just actually write the opera version of this space opera, just a, a one off opera, a two hour, three hour event, and just show that at like the Metropolitan <laughs> Opera. Just really do, do that. It. I would just love to see that. So if someone can just spend their life writing that, that would be great. A space opera opera. Perfect. Correct. I, uh, I just want to really see it for what it is. Yeah. I love Genius. that. You know, you know, you know, I think I'm sure you know that there's a one man show of Star Wars, right? The whole the whole trilogy. I know about the one man show and I know that, that there is a theater group in New York that does a stage version of Star Wars with only parody names so as to not infringe upon legality. Well Very similar to what they did for Puffs, which was a yeah. right subversively about Harry Potter books, but they couldn't use any names. But I, I don't. I would love to really see an opera, like a full opera yeah. production. You know, you got the I music. Great. Yeah. You get to use music. So yeah. That's beautiful, man. I love um, that. So those are my, those are my uh, not quite fully hatched pitches, but I, I, I love them. Those were what I was thinking about. Love that. All right, Miguel. All right. All right, gents. How about this? So do it. do it. Do it. So I think I have a way for the Star Wars movies to win back some fans. I don't know. I could, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And this is, this is a super, this is the super, a super fanboy move from me. Okay. Okay. Chris, as you know, Jordan and I are kids of the 1990s. There was something in the 1990s that Star Wars was trying to do, but it never quite got to where it needed to get. It was a book. They should have made Gak. They just should have made Gak. They should have made Star Wars slime. They just made Gak for everything in our generation was Gak. Yeah, Gak. Just some kind of goop. Star Wars goop. They're like, oh, these kids are born in the 80s. Give them some goop. Hey, Star Snot. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I missed, Mike. I missed the GAC era. Yeah, sorry. Kids are making Man, it on Chris, their own you now. Missed out. You missed out, bud. Yeah, everything was covered in. Only, if you were like 10 years younger, you would have been gacking yeah. with us. You'd be gacked everywhere. I have no doubt. So there was this multi, there was this cross media thing of Star Wars. And Chris definitely knows probably where I'm going with this. That I think would be a fantastic movie to make at this point. And it's a fan favorite thing. I love it. There's a video game for it that isn't great, but it's time for Shadows of the Empire to get made. It is time for Shadows of the Empire to get made. It'll bring people back. It has Han in it. It has Luke in it. It has Leia in it. It's got the original characters. It's got Boba Fett. It's got Jabba the Hutt. It's got Prince Scizor. It's got all this what stuff. What is this? What? I don't know what this is. I'm Shadow- completely on board. <laughs> what are you talking I'm, about? Shadows of the Empire is, was a book. This is a book. Okay, it's I'm a sorry. Bo- originally a book, but it was meant to be a mat, uh, a multi, multi, multimedia um, story that was going to be told through different methods. So comic books, movie, uh, comic books, and a book, and video games and stuff like that. And they had toys for it and everything. So pretty much, Shadows of the Empire is the story of what happens between episodes five and six. In the gap between okay. five and six, while Han Solo is in Carbonite. And it's pretty much about a lot of it's about trying to save Han Solo. But during Shadows of the Empire, Luke, I think, falls to the dark side or he's tempted by the dark side a little bit. And you have a new character who is another scruffy looking nerf herder by the name of Dash Rendar. 
Oh, yes. I know from the toys. Yeah, from oh, the yes. toys. Exactly. Dash Rendar is kind you kind of follow him. But at the same time, you follow Leia as her like fake bounty hunter. And she has to do a bunch of stuff to get to Jabba's palace. You follow Luke's story. And pretty much they're trying to save. Ultimately, it's the story that they that they weave to kind of go and save Han Solo. And at the same time, Prince, I think it's pronounced Prince Sisor. He's like this gangster. He's like this top level gangster who's trying to weasel in to push Darth Vader out as the emperor's second second in command. So you have like these these moments where you could have a story that you have this guy trying to push Vader out and try to get the on the emperor's side. You have Luke and Leia trying to hunt down Han Solo. And then you have Dash Rendar's kind of like Han Solo's. I guess he's a friend of his or someone that's looking out for him who's actually doing all this legwork. He's fighting Boba Fett. He's trying to get the Carbonite and he's kind of delivering information to Luke and Leia so that they could ultimately get into Jabba's palace and save him. So you get all this bridge because there's a handful of years that take place between uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So this is like the bridge between those movies. And it's such a fan favorite thing, especially because it was a Nintendo 64 game in 1996. (laughs) So people were all about it, especially kids my age. It was like one of the first real Star Wars games we had that wasn't super Star Wars. And it was it was something that people really got into. I had Dash Rendar's ship. I had the action figure. I had IG-88. It's a big deal in that. You fight him and like you have it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Chris, Chris is pointing to it behind him. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. So you have that. You you know, it brings in the criminal underworld that we talked in the last episode, but it also brings in Luke and Leia. And I think we're at the point where these characters, when they're this age, you know, listen, obviously Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill are those characters. We love them to death. Carrie Fisher's passing was incredibly devastating to so many of we Star Wars fans out there and to Hollywood in general. She was awesome. But I think if we're going to cast, we can cast younger versions of these people with by paying and paying, you know, paying the right homage and the right respects to the people who have played the actors, uh, played the characters before. And I think you already have Alden Engenreich as as Han Solo. He's great. Bring him back in. Chewbacca can be literally anyone at this point. Um, just a big guy wow. in a suit. He can be. Wow. He's a big guy in a suit. You know, I think Sebastian Stan, you can bring him in as Luke Skywalker. I think he's perfect for the role. I think he kind of looks just like him. Young Leia is actually hard for me to cast. I don't really know who to get for that role. I don't know. It'd be tough. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know if Billy Lord would do it. Yeah. I don't know if she would. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if Billy Lord would do it, but they might be able to find someone else. Yeah. And it's a she, hard cast. I mean, she reminds me of her mother in so many ways, but most of those ways relate to her personality and not the look of her so much. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's hard asking someone to do that. And I often think about James Gandolfini's son taking on his yeah. role yeah. in the many saints of Newark. And I think, I'm all for it. I think that young man is very, very talented. I think mm-hmm. the that that's a lot of emotional baggage that you're now wrapped up in, though. So I, I don't know. Yeah. No, you're right. There is an actress, and I'm trying to think of her name. She's from the Mischief Theater, uh, who did play that goes wrong and this whole series of all the goes wrong things. So she's British. Oh yes. Uh, but I was she just watching does. Peter Pan goes wrong. I know exactly she what you're talking about. Does accents. She plays Wendy in that. Charlie yes. and I can't think of her last name. Uh, she's I I'm a huge fan. She's terrific, and she does accents all over the place, and they're wonderful. So I, her American accent is really wonderful, and she could probably pull that off. I think yes. she really could. Her name is Charlie Russell. Yes, that's Charlie it, Charlie Russell. Russell. Yeah. She plays uh, Sandra in the Goes Wrong stuff, and she's yeah, she's playing Wendy in Peter Pan Goes Wrong. Yeah. She does look like Leia. That would be yeah. great. And that's, she's also good an unbelievable actress. Uh, she's wonderful. Yeah, so I think she'd be terrific. Sign her up. 
sign yeah. her up. And we, you know, when, when Lando shows up, we already have Donald Glover. And then for Dash Rendar, his name was thrown around a lot. I don't know if he's the best casting ever, but his name was thrown around a lot a couple of years ago. But I really like like a Zachary Levi. Um, I think he's very funny, and I think he's. Are you really just good. looking for like big handsome guys? Yeah, yeah, kind of. But he could be rough, rough looking, and and you know, rough around the edges too. If you you scruff him up just a little bit, unless Chris has a better casting. No, no, I don't. I I always I I I've, the whole time you've been talking, I've been picturing Chris Pratt, but you know, yeah, but that's Chris, just. But Chris if Pratt's he's already great, in but the he's, thing, you can't use him. But that, so what I'm trying to say is Chris like Pine too. Yeah. yeah. A quick question for you. So Shadows of the Empire, clearly I'm not familiar with it. Sorry. The the Prince Zizer character, is he a human? Is no, he... he's like a green alien guy. Can I throw an actor out there for yes. this character, even though I know nothing about him? Is it Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> no, it's a, it's an actor I'm now going to try to pitch into everything just because I want to see him do everything. Yes. The actor's name is Hamish Linklater. What's he from? He, uh, well, of late, he is the priest, Father Paul, on Midnight Mass. And he was from The New Adventures of Old Christine and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he's just very good. And I have him on my mind a lot recently just because I, I don't think I've ever seen a performance like his that I saw in Midnight Mass. And now I'm just trying to be like, yeah. what can I fit this tall, handsome guy who's also very weird into? What, what movie can I put him in? Yeah, I think it works. I think it works. I think we could do it. I All think right, we Prince, could do Prince Caesar's Hamish, Hamish Yeah, I think he'd be heavily made up, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's great. Fine. Yeah, of course. But <laughs> I, I, you know, I think you know, it's one of those things with with Shadows of the Empire. It's something I've always really loved, and mm. I think it's something that could make a really great film. That could be like, you know, it'll make the it'll make fans happy, but in the right way, you know. And as for other Star Wars stuff that I would do, you know, that's kind of my only pitch. You know, the, I think a lot of the comic books have done a lot of stuff for bridging things now. And I think that we've got some really great um, cartoons and obviously great TV shows. The last Star Wars video game, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, I thought was very, very good and really kind of expands upon the universe in a way that doesn't follow the same characters all the time. I'm excited yeah. to see more of these weird oddball characters show up in different Star Wars things. So yeah, let's do it. Shadows I, I'm, of the I'm on board. I love it, Mike. That's awesome. Does, doesn't Shadows end with Luke gearing up to head over to Jabba's palace? Like he has just become a Jedi I, Knight I, at the I end think so. of Shadows? I think so. I think you're right. I think he's he's on his way over there after they blow up like Prince Scizor's like right. thing. His, like, uh, he's space. at Obi-Wan's hut putting the yeah. final touches on his lightsaber, I think is what's yeah. happening. I mean, I, it's great. No, it's, it's really great. Really great stuff. And uh, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. But that's what I got. So uh, thank you both for being here on this original trilogy episode of How how About This, where we're talking about Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I have to go ahead and thank our, our co-hosts and our special guests. So, Jordan, thank you so much once again for being the Jedi Master that you are. You're welcome. I don't know if we topped... Uh, young Smee today. No, but um, these are pretty good pitches. I, I still is... want to produce. I still want to produce Young Smee. Wow. game. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely go see Young Smee starring Owen Wilson and uh, Smee from of Captain Hook. Yes. yes, yes. For, ref, for reference, listeners, go back and listen to the Wes Anderson <laughs> episode for our pitch on Young Smee. Oh, um, I, I will. <laughs> we uh, we we want we Jordan and I Got both went into on that one. Jordan and I both went into the Wes Anderson episode <laughs> looking to pitch uh, Wes Anderson some sort of Wes Anderson Peter Pan, and we didn't know. That we both thought Wes Anderson. Chris, this has happened like Pan. like about a half a dozen times on this show where Mike and I don't talk the whole like week about the show, and then we sit down to record, and our pitches are like, 
eerily similar. Oh, that's yeah, really funny. Yeah, we arrived a... at we ended up arriving at Young Smee. Young Smee. <laughs> that's what we want. Wow. So wow. Young wow. Smee. Owen, wow. Owen Wilson is Young Smee. Wow. But I we also have to thank for uh, we have to thank the great and powerful and amazing Chris Tapel for being with us tonight. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you guys. This has been a pleasure. I'll do this anytime. This is just wonderful to sit down with you so, guys. Nice. Indiana Jones, right? Next. I'm, I'm in. Yeah, right. bring me in for that. We, we got fast, you. fast five. Fast, fast five. five. Fast, right. fast five. We will eventually cross over Indiana Jones with the Fast and Furious, but that will be on another episode. Once again, all of you out there in internet land, thank you so much for listening. And thank you for so much for doing everything that you do to keep this podcast rolling. We'll catch you next time with the sequel trilogy. Also with a very special guest. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Later. And there you have it. Our take on the original Star Wars trilogy. We hope you had a good time. And thank you for listening. And a giant thank you to Chris DePel for joining us on this episode. We can't wait to have him back sometime in the future. In the meantime, if you want to share this podcast, go ahead and share it. You can share it anywhere in the world in the galaxy that you want to share it. Tell your friends. Leave a comment. Subscribe. Like. Do all that jazz. Give us a rating. It makes the podcast that much more visible and it gives us a larger audience. So we have more people to chat with out there on the internet and make this show better for the fans like you who are listening. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time for the Star Wars sequel trilogy.